talking back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Batten down the hatches. We've got feline friends to the rescue. Today's episode is a deep dive of the 2019 polyomino Kickstarter smash hit Isle of Cats. We'll discuss the idea of mechanical artifice and talk about drafting games, polyomino, the list goes on. Brendan, I just had to ask you before we get started, would you say like, I love cats or I like uh, cats. <laughs> I I definitely love cats. I lo- I love cats. But uh, do you know what I realized, Jake? I so I wrote this whole little nice thing that you just read wonderfully, but it's the Isle of Cats. So I've led you astray. It's the Isle of Cats. It's Are you the serious? Isle of cats. The Isle of Cats. So the a, Isle of Cats. But not Are you serious? Yeah, the Isle of Cats. Because the whole thing is it's like this horrible, odious pun, right? Yeah, but there's our... The Isle of Cats? Yeah, the Isle of Cats. The Isle of Cats. So we're off to a great start here with this wonderful episode on the Isle of Cats. This game is charming and it's adorable and it has many, many fans, Jake. And I... You and I were both really excited to see, to have the chance, I think, to delve into this one. Um... And I want to add a little bit to the start of sort of the things that you mentioned, because I think we'll also talk about how this compares to some of the biggest polyomino games that have come before, that most of which we've discussed on the show, and talk about like how this stacks up, like how the cats stack up against the the quilts. But before we get into that, I want to say for all of our pre-planners out there, uh, we're going to be covering Agricola, a game voted on for coverage by our wonderful crew, our group of patreon supporters and also coming up soon will be eric lang's blood rage so get ready for those uh both of them are actually on board game arena if you wanted to get some plays in digitally and i also just want to take a quick moment in that light to say thank you to our newest patron for their support and our newest patron is john h so john thank you so much for your support of the show yeah and since we're finally covering agricola which is our patreon supporters voted game we'll have to uh get another poll up soon. So if you want to be a part of that and help us pick the next game that the patrons will dictate for us to cover, you can be a part of that by supporting our Patreon. We always include a link for that. If you don't want to do that, totally fine. Uh, I do want to plug though at the beginning, you know, as we're trying to grow our show, if you would do just like one thing for us, that'd be really amazing. We just wanted to ask everyone to maybe tell one single solitary other person about the podcast it could be somebody in your game group it could be your mom it could be your male lady you know whatever if you could a tell clerk them, yeah you could post it online somewhere uh but if, if you'd be willing to do that and just spread a little bit of awareness at our show i think that would help us immeasurably your plumber do we keep going yeah i mean like we can <laughs> we can keep listing a baker your captain <laughs> your cat doesn't count though okay great just not your lawyer, please. <laughs> yeah, don't tell your lawyer. I don't know why, but don't tell your lawyer. Uh, never tell your lawyer until it's too late. Jake, I want to hear your rating and review. Okay. Just, let's get in the headspace. Sure, let's do it. So I think that Isle of Cats... Man, I think you're going to be annoyed with me at the end of this, but... <laughs> I think Isle of Cats can be best defined by one word. Brendan, I want you to guess. What word is this? Unwieldy. 
was pretty close. I was going to say messy. Like, this yeah, game, yeah. to me, is just a giant mess. It starts with the just terrible pun title, and it just goes on from there. At the end of the day, like... It's a very simple polyomino kind of drafting game, but there's just like so much shoved in here, right? Like, why does this game have as many phases as like Magic the Gathering? You know, why are there like upkeep cards and instants and sorceries? You know, it's like totally wild. There's artifacts that kind of stick around. Uh, you know, different cats cuts different amount. And like, don't even let me get started on these cats, Brendan, because these aren't even cats at all. There's some kind of like ghost cats that can phase right through walls like what is going on with that so i mean all of that to me at first blush when i look at this game is just like this is a disaster this is a mess it issues so many conventions and like best practices in gaming the, the scoring like you know it doesn't have like nice clean triangle scoring when you have a family of cats three or more that's eight and then every subsequent one like you might think like in every other game bigger is going to give you increasing value as you add more to it no it's just five points each one more after that so it's just different for no reason than like every other game so yeah i found this game really really annoying at first blush but as I came to grips with the mechanisms, with all the nonsense thrown in here, with the total mess of a deck of cards and what they can do, I just found myself having a ton of fun playing it. So much so that I think it was one of the games, really, that I've enjoyed learning the most of all the games we've covered this year. You know, I don't know. It's a mess, but it's a beautiful mess, and I'm giving it a 9.5 out of 10. What? <laughs> Okay, I knew there was a butt coming, and it was a beautiful butt, but I didn't know at the end of that we were going to hit a 9.5. Yeah, I really, really like this game, and I've already found a copy to pick up. I'm very excited to add it to my collection. Wow. Um, yeah, which is not something I often do with the games we cover here. This is like a classic decision space moment where we rate games highly, but then there's the, the question, does it pass the test? Are you going to buy it? And for Jake in this case, the answer is yes. That's amazing. What do I need to say? I guess I'll just say... The Isle of Cats is an unwieldy, winsome, messy game. Jake basically put it perfectly, so I'm throwing my script out the window. <laughs> I think that this game is delightful, uh, if not a little bit all over the place. And it works in spite of itself, and I think despite itself in some ways. But I also think that the rough edges that it do have sort of inspire this love that i have been caught up in i think this game is wonderful i'd love that cats can go through the rooms and that it doesn't make any sense because the game's better that way i i when i first read about the drafting rules jake i thought they were so frustrating like why put a draft in this game if the draft takes too long and you're gonna do it five times so then you have to make the concession that you draft two cards each time which then makes it that like why am i even drafting because within three passes all the cards are pulled so if we're playing with a large group like it's the cards are never going to wheel, but the more I played it, the more I loved the draft and found the decisions to be really interesting. And I sort of don't care. I sort of love it. So for me, I'm not quite at a 9.5. Um, oh, I have one more thing to add. We'll get into it. But I think that the design of this tile set is one of the best designs I've ever seen in a modern game, if only because of how it responds to the conventions that come before and show that that's one way of doing things and that there are many ways that polyomino tile game laying game sets can be designed. And this pushes the boundaries on that in a in an awesome way that I think if more games did that for the mechanics they would be inspired for, 
board games would just be even more exciting. So for me, I, the, the Isle of Cats is a 9 out of 10. This is an awesome game. I love it. Nice. I want to play it all the time. I figured you'd be annoyed because I was going to give it a higher rating than you. And I, I'm a little annoyed. I'm a little shocked. <laughs> I didn't. There was a time, y'all, when I didn't even think Jake wanted to cover this game on the show. Well, I didn't want to cover it because I just felt like I played so many other polyomino games that are just cleaner, you know. Mm. So I was I was really put off by it. My first like impression of the rule set of the game, my first play wasn't particularly enjoyable, but I definitely it definitely won me over, and that's credit to the, the designer. And the designer is uh, Frank West, who is the publisher of this game as well. It's published by his company, The City of Games. Uh, so it's self-published, and it came to Kickstarter in 2019. Excuse me. And it follows in this line, the sort of world that all of Frank West's designs live in. Uh, so the Isle of Cats, the City of Kings, and Vidoran Gardens all sort of live in this universe. So the Isle of Cats this fits into that mythology. Um, and I don't know how much we'll get into the sort of the vibe of the game, but I, I don't, it initially didn't hit me about the pun title. I, I didn't see it until someone said, oh, it's a stand in for I Love Cats. But the idea of going to an island and trying to attract cats to your boat with fish is really adorable. Uh, so it, it works for me. Well, I have a lot to say about this game, but before we do that, let's jump into your rules overview, Brendan, and, and then we'll meet back on the other side for our discussion. The Isle of Cats is a polyomino tile-laying game in which players attempt to fill personal boat-shaped player boards with polyomino cats and treasures. The Isle of Cats is played over five rounds, which share a similar structure. Draft cards, choose cards to keep and pay for them with fish tokens, then rescue cats and fill your boat with them. During the card drafting phase, players can draft baskets, which allow them to rescue cats. They can also draft public and private lesson cards, which function as game and scoring objectives. They can draft cards that allow them to draw additional cards, cards that allow them to gain extra fish, cards that allow them to add smaller treasure polyominoes to their boat. And they can also draft cards that represent wild Oshax cats. These are cats that can be any color and come from a limited pool. To draft, each player receives seven cards. They then pick two of those cards and pass the remaining cards to the player to their left, repeating this until each player has seven cards for the upcoming round. At the start of each round, players receive 20 fish tokens and add them to their personal fish token supply. These tokens are used to purchase drafted cards and attract fish to your boat. Players do not have to purchase all the cards they draft, but fish do not score at the end of the game, so players are incentivized to play as many cards as possible to fill their boats. Though, because of this mechanic, you might not always draft cards you want. You might draft a card to deny your opponent the card and not spend fish to actually buy it and utilize it. After drafting, players take turns using baskets, either permanent ones that they have in front of them or baskets that they've drafted, to attract cats from the islet. Cats come in five different colors and are drafted from two areas, one in which cats cost three fish to draft or attract their boat, or another where they cost five. Once each player passes the round, the round ends. Players score at game end based on six different criteria. Rats, rooms, cat families, rare treasures, 
private lessons, and public lessons. Rat icons are depicted on each player's boat. At game end, players receive negative one point for each uncovered rat on their board. Rooms are spaces denoted on each player's player board, and players receive negative five points for each unfilled room on their board. Cat families are also scored, and players score an increasing sum of points based on the number of cats they have on their board that are adjacent to cats of the same color. For example, if a player has a family of five adjacent red cats on their board, they'd receive 15 points. But if they had six adjacent red cats, they'd score 20 points for them. Players receive three points for each rare treasure on their board. And finally, players score points based on any public or private lesson cards. And these have sort of these different scoring rules. For example, one might read, gain one point per two cats touching the edge of your boat, or three points per Oshak's cat on your boat. Plays of Isle of Cats can push players in wildly different directions depending on the presence of certain lesson cards that incentivize specific play patterns. After five rounds, players sum their points, and the player with the most points is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan. As always, for taking the time to record that rules overview, let's get right into it. I think, you know, we talked a lot in the intro about just kind of like how messy this game is. Um, and I wonder, like, to me, it kind of feels like this is just a random thought and aside, but it feels like, you know, so many games in our board game hobby are like so clearly built upon the shoulder of other games, right? It's like, we'll take this one game system and then I'm going to refine it or tweak it just a little bit to get somewhere different and interesting. And while Isle of Cats is similar to other polyomino games, similar to other kind of drafting games, it almost feels like the designer just started in a completely different place and sort of ended here in something that's like similar to these other games, but just fundamentally it's like own different beast. Yeah, I think that that puts it really well. Learning the rules and, and getting into it, you are sort of vaguely reminded of like, even the draft kind of reminded me of Seven Wonders because of the different cards that you might be drafting. And obviously, anytime you put polyominoes in my hand, I think of patchwork or I think of something like, really patchwork is what I think of. Um, and it it reminds you, but it feels surprising and new consistently just because it does it just differently enough. But what do you think about, I'm really curious about this, Jake the decision space what what type like what's the shape yeah so i mean i think the reason i brought up that is because i feel like this is another case where the decision space to me feels like it's doing something very different than any of the other games we've covered on the show um, and i don't know exactly the best way to phrase this but here's what i think it does that is unique and very cool um so traditionally tile placement games like this polyomino games like this would be like a waning decision space right as you fill up your boat with tiles you have fewer places with which you can put them into the boat uh so clearly that decision space shrinks over time and that is true here but at the same time alongside that you're actually like building up in small ways the amount of things you can do in each of the five phases of the turn. So you kind of have like, you know, you, you can be constructing extra baskets so that you are have like access to collecting more cats on that last turn. So basically I think like your ability to collect cats is waxing, growing in a small way throughout the game. 
or you know it could you could be really intentional about it and growing in a more significant way while at the same time you have waning of like where you can actually place things and i think those two things coming together creates like tons of interesting decisions and just like a really intriguing decision space to explore and then overlaid on top of all this is the public and private lesson cards that are getting revealed as time goes on. So what you're doing on your given turn might really shift or you might be considering more options. So the decision space itself sort of gets it, it, the branch factor of any given turn, I think, grows because you have more things that you're considering and factoring in than you do on turn one, even though there's a lot of things to factor in from turn one, like rooms, rats, families, Etc. There's there's a lot of different scoring ropes pulling on your brain. Right. So it's sort of like interestingly, right? It's like this waxing and waning decision space, which we might say like, okay, well, that's like a dynamic decision space, but it's not yeah. really that because I think to me, when I say dynamic, that implies like on any given turn, your decision space might be smaller or bigger. And here, I think you actually have these two competing trends like happening regularly. Yeah, if that makes sense. And I think it's it typically from my experience, it's very hard to fill your boat completely. So the the sense of of waning that you get from something like patchwork, where you're working in this really confined square, I think you don't feel it as much because there's a lot more room to play with on your boat. And we'll talk about that boat shape and how it affects the decision space. But I think there might be an argument, Jake, because of that the relative flexibility that you have for most of the game, that it's like the inverse of of sort of Azul's decision space, where it's a punctuated waxing decision space, which is really interesting. As every turn, you know, you get the, the new cats that come out and you have that new hand of cards. And in some ways that makes it this mirror to Jake's favorite type of decision space, the punctuated waning decision space. So in a way, I'm not surprised at all that you actually love this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I can see that, but I do feel like there is, it's not just waxing. Like there really are elements that wane here. Even yeah, if you're not yeah. filling up your boat completely, like there will certainly be like, or very likely to be when you get into that last turn, different colors of cats that you're really going to value or different shapes of cats that you're really going to like want to get more than others where early on in the game, that's much less the case. Totally. And there might be little holes that you've created for yourself that you have to fill in because you don't want to get the negative five penalty for leaving at least this room uncovered or something to that extent too, which really t- narrows the options down because you have these things that are clearly optimal, which is good. By the end of the game, you want sort of some of these obvious decisions to drive you with some momentum to the end game. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit maybe about like, I want to talk next, if it's all right, of like the, before we even get into like the size and depth of it, let's, I want to talk about the clarity of the decision mm-hmm. space because I think this is another really interesting one and i think it achieves like isle of cats achieves a really interesting like mix between clear and fuzzy decision space in again kind of like a novel way uh so you know generally the games i like most are games where you can make smart decisions that you feel good about on most turns um but like you can you're but it but without being like this is definitely the right thing. I'm like positioning this perfectly. And I think the way that Isle of Cats creates that fuzziness that you need is by just like offering a massive deck of cards, <laughs> right? Which creates a situation like you don't know what's going to come up in any given game. Um, and in a lot of games, right, 
it, it, your the fuzziness might come from like, okay, well, I don't know what order the cards are going to come up in. Like here, it's like you might have a game that just has a ton of ability to create permanent baskets for yourself, uh, or that, that those cards might just not be there. Or yeah. you, or there might be the ability to get a lot of the wildcats, or those cards might not be there. Or there's a game with like tons of treasure cards available, or very few. Uh, and all of those things dramatically impact like the choices that you should be making over the course of the game. Uh, and it's it's also like I think unknowable in like a fun way. Like the game isn't like telling telling you like you have to like memorize this deck of cards. Uh, in order to be able to succeed at it because that's just like there's just so much yeah definitely and i think another sort of way in which that changes is just because the lessons that come out and when they come out can really change how you approach filling in your ship if you get something early on that you can really work towards building a, a lot of points and it really does change how you sort of think about drafting cats how you think about approaching families potentially the card that sort of says score your third largest family twice that can really change how you approach laying out cats on your board. And all of a sudden, maybe you are only going for three colors and you're trying to make that third one just barely smaller than the others because you're trying to make them balanced and making it really, you know? So I, I one of my favorite things too, like it sounds like we're just saying the variability is good in this game, which might partially be the case. But I think that you're right, Jake, in that it feels like you're solving a different puzzle in the same shared space every single time. And that's really cool. Right. Yeah, and I, I think the example of lesson cards is exactly what I'm talking about. In a game with a smaller deck of cards, you know, you could start planning and expect a certain lesson, right? Maybe I'm already yeah. working towards a card, a lesson card that hasn't come out yet, um, which is something you could do in this game um, and, and something that I think would be really important if you could reasonably predict that. But a lot of times you might be like working towards a goal of like, not covering up treasure maps that are on your boat or not filling up certain rooms. And then either those don't come out or you, or somebody sees them gets, gets dealt them in their hand and they just hate draft it from you, uh, which is, you know, we'll talk about the draft in just a second, but I think the way that the draft mechanisms incentivize hate drafting is really fantastic. Yeah. I completely agree. It's one of the things that I came to enjoy most about the draft that I didn't realize would be so awesome is that you're so free to just put cards you don't want in your back pocket because they're free. Right. Um, and you you aren't ever going to be able to afford all the cards you draft. Like everything pushes you in that direction, but they don't push you so far that the game is just hate draft the game, right? Like it's just like, just do it a little bit. It's okay, just a little bit. And all of the mechanics make doing it just a little bit perfectly right. Right. It like incentivizes like, like just hate draft like one or two cards for draft. Yeah, exactly. And it feels good to do it, right? Where so often like hate drafting is so zero sum that it's yeah. like, is this even helping me? Like I know that person wants it, but I'm like foregoing an opportunity to do this. So if it's like a three player game, then it's like, okay, this is hurting both of us and player three wins. But here, because of the fact that you have to pay to keep the cards you have to draft again, like a very, I mean, there, this exists in other games, right? It's in terraforming Mars, but sort of like just another extra like mechanism here that totally doesn't need to be there is going to feel like, why am I dealing with this in the first couple of plays? But ultimately like leads to really fun implications. 
And that's one way in which this game is not messy at all. Like the very fine tuned ways in which it incentivizes just the perfect amount of hay drafting. Yeah, I I I still think it's messy, though. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to point out it was one clean element for sure. And there's intentional messiness here, too, right? Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is like all the mess like comes together to create something that's like better than the sum of its parts. And I think like this game must have had like tons of development work done to make all of these little rough edge cases that we'll continue to talk about throughout the episode that like on their own, I would not like it in a normal game. Uh, But because of everything else and all those weird edge case things, like it comes together to create something great. It's the Jackson Pollock painting of board games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to just really quickly before we move on in talking about the clarity, talk about the tile set, because the tile set outside of the draft is the most important way in which you're fitting your decisions together. In this case, pun absolutely intended. And the tile set for me is so cool because in a lot of other polyomino games like Patchwork or even A Feast for Odin, when I place pieces down, I am oftentimes thinking about the pieces that I need to get to fill them in. And I do that some in Isle of Cats, but I don't feel like I'm held hostage to the need to create cleanliness on my boat. I feel that the game gives me the room to make a mess with my cats and come back and fill in the holes later. And not in the sort of barren park way, like, haha, there's one space left and then I get to put down this one tile that fills in this one space, but a little bit, there's even more room, right? Where the cats are all of these pentominoes and hexominoes, these really big kind of messy tiles that go in lots of different directions. So they can't fit together perfectly. They're just not, sometimes you, you find one and you do fit it together really perfectly. And that feels even better because you're fighting against the inherent chaos of cats being shoved into a boat, which in this game really works. And then you come back with these little treasures and you push them in like postage stamps into the spaces. And if you do leave the perfect space, which usually ends up being you're leaving a tetronimo space rather than a single or a double, though that, that does happen, that feels really good. And when I say tetronimo, right, that's what a tile using four squares, just like the Tetris pieces. So it's the T or the Zs or the L or the I. I don't know this as that well, but you know, yeah, I, and maybe I do, but yeah. I love the comp to Baron part. Cause I just think that's like such a great, <laughs> like it's such, it's like the opposite of antithesis. It, it's yeah. the, it, that, thank you. That was the word I was searching for. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're playing Baron Park and then all of a sudden you get sucked into the upside down and like it's Iowa cats and yeah. you're like, Oh my God, <laughs> like what, what happened? It's like Baron Park's so clean, right? Like everything yeah. is all about like fitting things together perfectly. And here it's, it's so weird in that, like a lot of times, like you just don't want to do that or care at all, but sometimes you do care. It just depends on the game you're playing uh, which has a lot to do with like the lessons that come out, the lessons that you choose to take. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, like because of the size of the boat and the way the tiles are together, like you just don't have to like care too much about fitting things together perfectly. And I think like once I realized that was when mm-hmm. this game opened up for me and I started having a lot more fun with my plays. Like, you know, when you approach it like a barren park, you're going to get frustrated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't have the tools to do what you think you should be doing. So it's going to suck. I yeah. feel like, Jake, too, the, we don't often get to talk about thematic wins. And I want to take this moment to talk about a real thematic win. Because I think that 
in the framing of Isle of Cats, the island is in danger. You're literally rescuing these cats. So the haphazardness with, with which you fill your boat, I think is so resonant to this idea that you're rushing to fill them, fill, get these cats into your boat. And I think that it's just, it, I feel that sort of frenzied sense of I'm packing my, I don't, I haven't packed a lot of boats in my life. It's not something I unfortunately have had a lot of experience doing, but I have packed a lot of cars and I know the car that I've packed when I have a leisurely three days to pack my car. I can make it beautiful. I also know what it feels like to pack a dorm room in about three hours. That's what I'm doing in Isle of Cats. And it's so fun. Just throwing every all your clothes yeah. in a trash bag. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Get in, everyone. We're going. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, counterpoint to your thematic win. Let me just return to the fact that these cats can phase through walls. So. I think like, do you think you just like punch out a hole for it because it wants to lay there? So you just like sledge the wall and like right here. I promise it'll be nice. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. Like I can't like, I've already mentioned it twice now, but like that literally, like, I don't think I'm like tremendously OCD as a person though. Maybe I have a little bit of that, but like there's something about like, just looking at your board, seeing these little rooms, like, you know, this is like a polyomino game. It's like, great. I'm going to like work on like filling up these rooms. And then it's just like, oh, one small thing. Like you can just place them right across the wall. No problem. It's like, what? Like, what are we doing? Like, wow. What it's, are we doing here? Good thing it's adorable because the metaphor almost holds up. What yeah. do you think, Jake, about pivoting to talking about mechanical artifice? That idea that we talked about at the start. Yeah, I'm it's excited get our... to talk about this. I think this idea is going to get our fingers in basically every system in the game, which yeah. is good because it kind of ties into the idea. So I, you and I were talking about this game. We were sort of thinking about why this game feels different than a lot of games we typically cover on the show. And I came up with this idea of mechanical artifice, which we might talk about more in a future episode. I don't know. Depends. But I'm going to define mechanical artifice as the number of systems between the player and what they want to do in the game. So in the Isle of Cats, you want to fill your boat and there's a lot of things in your way of being able to fill your boat up. You right, you don't just take cats and treasures and put you don't pick them for free and put them into the spaces you want on your boat. So here are all the things that you have to keep in mind in terms of trying to get to what you want, a filled boat. First, you have to draft cards. Then you have to pay for those cards with fish. You're going to use those fish to also attract cats that you need baskets to get. And some baskets are permanent. Some baskets you can just draft cards and then pay for those cards to then use to buy cats that cost fish. There's also baskets that are split in half. So you have to get each half of a basket and put those together. Some of those also have speed on them. So if you want a specific cat, you might have to make sure you draft two baskets with the faster boots than everyone else at the table is getting. Um, the cat shapes are really irregular, which adds to the mechanical artifice in terms of how they fit together. Then there's treasure to think about on top of this because of treasure fitting in and scoring points. I think that this kind of is hopefully getting at the idea that the simple sort of goal of I need cats and I want to fill my bolt, there's a lot of things factoring in. And the Baron Park example is the opposite, right? Like there's not a ton of, ton of mechanical artifice in that game because you do get to specifically just take the tiles that you want and put them on your boat so long as you have maybe met one little criteria. And in this game, there's a ton to think about that stands between you and the game. There's a high amount of mechanical artifice. And mechanical artifice isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. And it's a thing we can talk about and think about games in those terms. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, 
So thanks for laying that out. Like I, I just to quick brief discussion on mechanical artifice, I guess like I think some people listening to that description might say like, okay, well, like you can abstract out any game into those turns be like, well, the goal is to win and to win, to get the most points, I have to do like all of these different things. So I just wonder like for me, when I, the way mechanical artifice like resonates with me in this game, is this basically like rules that exist only to make things more complicated and difficult. Mm. I don't know. Like, you know, take the, yeah, take like, the picking cats in this game right it could be so easily like all the cats are in the middle and they're free right but no this game instead it says like half the cats go over to one side of the island and they cost three fish the other cats go onto the other half of the island and they cost five fish like this game could so easily say like draft cats in turn order and the first player just rotates around the table like the game doesn't do that instead it like incorporates like this whole subsystem of boots onto the cards that you're drafting and then you like count up the boots on the cards you played in order to become the first player you know i think we're like saying the same thing about like what makes it complicated but like to me like when i think of mechanical artifice i'm thinking of like these specific things like like rules system layered on top of the core idea that like could be reduced, could be eliminated, but are there because they like add something to the decision space, hopefully. And I think it's also systems that feed into other systems, right? It's we've pulled back from just taking tiles that you want specifically. And it could have pulled back to the point where it's, you also have these basket tokens that you're trying to spend and you have to spend a certain you you spend a certain number of tokens, but we've pulled back even further from that to first we're going to draft cards, then we're going to pay for those cards with fish. Uh, once we've paid for those cards with fish, then we're going to take turn in a specific order specified by the cards that you've purchased, right? We've, we, we keep pulling back and getting a little bit further the number of different systems that we touch between what we want to do and being able to do it is much larger. And I think that's representative of a game with mechanical artifice. And I think the upside of games with higher mechanical artifice, go for it, Jake. You have I, say, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about, I think we're on the same page about mechanical artifice. To me, I think it just makes more sense to my understanding. If you look at it like within each subsystem, then like mm. abstracting out and saying like, this is the end goal. And this is all the stuff you have to do to, to achieve get it yep because to me that's like that just it's too broad too broad and i feel like that can just be so easily mapped onto like any game that requires like for planning you know forward planning but when we when you're talking about it like within each individual system then i think it to me is a lot more clear like what we're talking about yeah no totally and i think if if there's a way to succinctly put that in one sentence think about it and let us know because yeah. I, I think you're on on the right track. And that's part of, the, I hope, the joy of listening to the show for all of you is like we're, we're tugging at these ideas together and trying to get to Chris's definitions that help us understand the game better. But Jake just hit on something I think really important, which is that games with high mechanical artifice, I think, tend to emphasize planning really well because you have to make all of those systems align in the direction of what you're ultimately trying to specifically do. Maybe not generally do, but specifically do. So yes. typically these games with higher mechanical artifice make you plan ahead further. Yeah, I think that's fair. Although it, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just like struggling with this no, conversation that's okay. because like Baron Park, again, counterexample, whoa, mechanical, mechanical artifice, artifice game. Yep. But I feel like that's a game in which like you can almost just plan, plan your entire everything game. out from like turn one because, yeah. but that has less to do with mechanical artifice and more to do with like the systems themselves. Yeah. Well, like in, I don't catch you can't do that because there's so much like uh, influx of randomness, yeah. right? That yeah. is not going to happen nearly as much in Baron Park, right? Here yeah. you've got we don't know what cards, we don't know what goals are going to come up. Yeah. Um. So so that necessarily necessarily limits the planning that you can be done in this game to like at least each individual of the five larger round which i think is part of the joy of these sort of punctuated waxing or waning decision spaces is that they give you the freedom to not feel beholden to planning in the way that a game like baron park does where the game is that um so Mm -hmm. yeah maybe maybe i've overstepped in that definition but and i don't think it seems like we don't need to dally on mechanical artifice (laughs) we can get to the meat of discussing isle of cats but i'd be really really curious to hear what you as you sort of noodle on this idea and our listeners as you think about this idea of mechanical artifice, maybe other examples, or maybe we'll sort of polish the idea a little bit and see where it, what it becomes. Yeah. I think like think just in general, like when we were talking about this with folks in the discord, like if you think like Lacerda games are like famous for having like a lot of steps in between doing what you want to do. So I think that's probably like, an example of mechanical artifice and obviously isle of cats is not lacerda it's not a heavy game but it has those kind of like elements where it's like everything is just like a little bit like you just have so many subsystems to grapple with um and playing this game it's really apparent you know that so much like you know you think about like writing there's like the famous like idea of like sometimes like get to like the essence of your story like you have to kill your darlings mm-hmm. and it's clear in isle of cats no darlings were killed during the development of this game they were just like tweaked and refined and tweaked and refined until you had everything staying in there but like somehow do it working regardless yep i feel like one really good example of that is the wildcat Mark the the wildcats the oshax cats i don't know if i'm pronouncing those right yeah, but the, the, ma- the magical oshax cats. yeah yeah exactly i think that those are such a good example of this because they're so clunky on one hand but then they're also so wonderful like i wouldn't want to play the game without them they're so great but they're really clunky like grab this then put a little token on it uh, I, I don't know it, it's it's the sort of thing where i think in a lot of designs you're just like this is more trouble than it's worth but Frank West clearly sees that, no, they're worth as much trouble as they are. Yeah. What about the draft? Why don't we talk about the draft, Jake? Because that's where the game really starts. Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing about the draft, right, is you're always drafting seven cards. And then at the end of that, you'll have to pay for them. And you always get an income of 20 fish every turn, as one does. And then you might have leftover fish that add to that. Uh, so you have to be both thinking about like what you want to accomplish in the draft as well as like what you can afford. Cause some of the things are really expensive. Like I think the Oshax cats, these wild cats cost like six uh, fish to get. So, I mean, uh, and you also have to save leftover money fish. Uh, you have to save leftover fish to be able to buy the cats later. So, you know, you 
have to factor that in, right? If you're if you're if you're hoping to play baskets to enable you to draft three cats on your boat, you need a minimum of nine fish, and that's only if the you're able to get all from the cheap side, which may not be possible. So yeah, there's just a lot of considerations that go so far beyond the simple draft the cards you want and then we'll play them over <laughs> over the next round. And beyond just like draft quote unquote the best cards, whatever that means in the context of the specific play because of that fish system. I actually at first hated the fish system. I felt like it was so clunky and so cumbersome and I didn't want to be engaging with it. And then the more I played, the more I came to really enjoy it because I've come to really enjoy the cards that get you more fish. Uh, they're sort of like mini objectives. Like you get two fish for every Oshak's cat on your boat or whatever it is. Some of them factor into treasure, these different mini objectives. I think those are really fun because they're sort of these accelerators for later in the round where it changes the math of how much you're accomplishing and what you might be able to do and allows you to draft hands that you otherwise couldn't draft because the actions would be too expensive early on. Um, and I think that maybe this is the most natural time in our discussion to sort of say that the fish system is really clever once you come to appreciate it because it keeps everyone... If there's anything that is sort of represents rails, right? Like keeping everyone kind of within the same bounds, despite the randomness of the cards that they might be dealt or uh, even the cats that come out, which could really change based on what cats come out. I think the fish help keep things mostly even enough for it to feel fair because you're all kind of accomplishing kind of the same amount. Like if Jake gets five permanent baskets somehow. Uh, or four even, that's a huge advantage because you're drafting potentially significantly more cats than me if you do that in round two or three, and if I only have one permanent basket at that point. And the fish kind of keep us all roughly on the same track without sort of spiraling out of control, but you still feel great if you have three or four permanent baskets and I only have one. Yeah, and I, I, I think like, again, I'm kind of going back to like one thing I just love most about this game is like, how big the deck of cards is because it really enables like different strategies in the draft. Like, uh, you know, you can really do what you want. If you want to play those mini games to like build up your fish economy more, um, you can do that. Right. Uh, And also in another way, this game is just incredibly just like messy on the table is that any cards you don't spend or that you, you purchase after the draft, but you don't use them. They just stay in your hand. So that's another way that your decision space kind of grows over the course of the game. Cause you could end yeah. up with like 10 plus cards in your hand the last turn and, you know, really combo off by using some of these like gain extra fish cards. And then all of a sudden you're able to just scoop up like a ton of cats or extra cards in the last round. Uh, so you can do that if you want. I, one strategy that I did in one of our recent plays was I was able to get up to like three uh, baskets early on in the game, permanent baskets. And I was just trying to draft as many of the temporary basket cards as possible. And many of them just discarding because yeah. I just knew like, okay, like I don't even have to buy these. I can get my fish income going by virtue of hate drafting these cards from you and not purchasing them, which also kind of increases the amount of fish I'll have available. Hey, and that was really effective. Um, and so, I yeah, really like the strategy of just going hard on the lesson cards, right? Like just snap, just snatching up lessons and letting lessons just, I'm going to, none of these am I going to maximize, but I'm just going to, every time I draft one, add to my points even a little bit. So, so I've finished games where I have sort of 12 private lessons in front of me or something absurd like that. 
And it's really hard to come back from that. And I think that what we're saying is, right, like the strategic ecosystem of this game is on one hand really healthy and on the other hand really exciting because different plays are just so wildly different. And the math of like, okay, I'm going to put down this public lesson card on round three and it's clear at this point in the game, it really benefits me because it's incentive, it's giving points for this specific color cat that only I have. But maybe from that point on, you totally find a way to bring it back and all of a sudden you get slightly more points from it. I've wasted everything. That fuzziness keeps the game exciting and I think is is really good. So there's a lot of value judgments in the draft and in some of the lessons that I think are tough decisions, interesting decisions, and fun decisions all at the same time. Yeah. No, I, I totally, totally agree. The, let's talk about the draft too because it is true that like the drafting two cards is inherently a concession right like drafts work well because in your first hand of cards you're doing this multi um multi-order thinking of what's the best card and what cards do i hope i get back and what's the get back meaning as this hand get passed around the table it will come back to me and i'll have a chance of getting a second card what card might that be and is there a way that those cards are in a relationship with each other in some way that makes them slightly better through there being little synergies? And when you're drafting two cards out of seven card hands, that happens significantly less. Um, in a three-player game, or excuse me, in a four-player game, you're never going to see cards out of that first hand again. No cards will yeah. wield to you even randomly. In a three-player game, you get because they're seven card hands, you'll get one card back. You won't have a choice. You'll just get past one card at the end. Um, so you kind of look for, okay, what's the worst card? Maybe I'll get that worst quote unquote worst card back. Does that factor into my decisions? It's pretty hard to make a decision based off that, I think. And then at two player, which I think is the most interesting for the draft, you'll see three of the cards again. And that's just enough that you can kind of factor it into your decisions from your starting hand. And for that reason, I think I like this game most at two. Yeah, that's interesting. I to me, I, I definitely see where you're coming from, and I think that will be a con to players who like really love drafting. Yeah, um, I don't think it's something that really is a con for me in the context of this game because, like, to me, I feel like the draft exists not because this is like a drafting game, wherever like who performs best in the draft is should be the one who wins. It's like more a game about other things. It's like more of like a polyomino game to me. So I think like the draft exists to, as we were talking about at the beginning, like to be able to hate draft a card that you know your opponent might really want and, and be able to like, you know, uh, choose your own path through the game more so than it's like a game where you're supposed to be memorizing. Obviously, it doesn't really matter if you memorize the cards in your uh initial hand and i think that's kind of something about drafting that i don't care for as much just like the forced like memorization because they're like when that comes up in games as like a huge part of it i think that is when designers are telling you whether intentionally or not like you need to memorize the card pool you need to yeah. like have like intimate knowledge of what all these cards are and do which is why like Magic Gathering draft at like a super high level is something that's just like endlessly deep and enjoyable for players. Um, but Seven. also just also incredibly difficult barrier of entry to like get into and like being able to compete with players who know what's going on. Um, yeah, we were going to say Seven Wonders. 
is sort of the the prototypical example of that same idea i think right where like the you get your starting hand and at the right player counts so much of that game is about puzzling out the implications of the hand you see versus all the hands other people might have you have to know the card pool that exists so you can make informed decisions based off it and isle of cats sort of says to heck with it this is an efficient system to give you interesting decisions about the cards that you'll play that isn't strictly random, but is fast and efficient and fun. And which player is interaction. Yeah. Right. It is meaningful player interaction, even without like thinking about what card might wheel back to you. I think Sushi Go for me is like the example of like, uh, you know, a little looser. Well, it's an example of like drafting in the way that you're talking where you want to consider what's mm. going to come back to you done right. Because in that, like that is the whole game, you yeah. know, I don't have to like, I can fully dedicate my brain power, my sort of bandwidth to like thinking about those things. And if I do well in that I'm rewarded and I do well in the game, yeah. um, you know, we'll t- blood rage is a game we're going to cover soon where I, that's one of my struggles with the game. Right. Yeah. It feels like, there's so much going on after the draft, but obviously draft is so pivotal. That's like, to me, and maybe my opinion will change as I play more, but like it, that can just feel like too much, like too much like weird duality between those two things. So I actually kind of like how the draft is done here, but your point well taken. I feel like the draft. Okay. So these other examples, right? Like seven wonders and sushi go, the draft is the game. A hundred percent of the game is the draft. Yeah. Um, Blood Rage, I haven't played enough of to to decide, but right now in playing that game, I feel like the draft is overemphasized to some extent. And I feel like in Isle, the Isle of Cats, the draft is, uh, this is such loose language, but I think it will convey my point, feels like less than 50% of the game, which is oh, right where sure. I want it to be. It's like a, a solid 39% of the game, and that's exactly where it should be. And I love it for that. Yeah, it exists less as the game and more of like as mechanical artifice a facilitator to, yeah, yeah so that like just adds complexity adds decision space intrigue yeah. to what is at the end of the day a game about positioning cats on a boat yeah boom that was good what about should we talk about scoring objectives because we're gonna like i think we're gonna drag right here and then at the very end of the show it's gonna pick back up and we'll talk about everything else about this game okay. but like the scoring objectives there's there's a lot right so there's Rats, rooms, cat families, rare treasures, private lessons, and public lessons, and then fish or tiebreakers. They don't score unless you need them to count. That's a yeah. lot. It's a mess. Yeah, it's a big mess. And uh, yeah, and I already mentioned like in my intro, like how weird it is to me. Like, let's just talk about the cat families, like scoring. Okay. Like, yeah. When I look at these numbers, it's just like so. Like, I guess these are developed and perfectly calibrated. But it's just so strange to me that it makes like decisions so weird that like, okay, your first two cats, so a family of cats are cats of similar colors touching. Your first two cats together, zero points. Once you get three, that's eight points. Add one more, you're getting three more points and then four more points. Okay, so it's like you are getting a little bit extra value and then five and then five. (laughs) Like it's weird, right? I don't know that I've ever seen scoring done like this like generally always in games like getting up to like seven cats which is insane like very difficult to pull off like would reward you in kind with you know like adding the sixth cat would be worth more than adding the fifth cat was and adding the seventh would be worth more than that but it just isn't that way very strange 
it is it i think that it wants you to commit to certain colors because the decisions once you've committed to certain colors kind of filling up your boat it makes the decisions more interesting right like when you really care about red there's an exciting red cats there's this exciting moment where at the start of each round when the cats come out you get to see what cats are there and it impacts your decision of maybe oh there's only one red cat in the cheap cats and there's none in the expensive ones there's only one red cat on the board i really care about boots this round um even though i don't net typically think about that um which is kind of cool and i like it um so i think it's like trying it's much more thoughtfully trying to impact how you think about the decisions um with the scoring than it is thinking about how you should incentivize like all of the scoring is equally important right like in a, in a game where j- just the triangular scoring is the game, right? If just cat families were the game, I don't think this type of scoring system would work, but that's not all you're thinking about. So each of these sort of smaller scoring systems has to act as a pillar to support the building overall rather than doing all the work. So that's why I feel like it works. Also, really quickly, Jake, I just did the math. Per cat, um, if you have three cats, every cat is worth 2.66. Four cats, every cat is worth 2.75 points. Five cats, every cat is worth three points. Six cats, every cat is worth 3.33 points. And seven cats, every cat is worth 3.571 cats. And it's going to keep going up slightly from there, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Like getting to four cats is feels pretty big in terms of the movement. And then from there, investing probably makes sense because getting into new cats families is risky because of those first two aren't scoring for cat families yeah unless you already have two and then unless you, you already have super two, you... care about getting the third one exactly um yeah so again i mean it's just like and i'm again and i really like this game i think it works it's just very it's just different than what we normally see in these games which would be like a way more intuitive to understand system the rare treasures are doing this as one of the pillars holding up the decision space in this metaphor. They're doing this weird thing because every rare treasure is worth three points. And so you're never going to build a strategy around it because it doesn't make, it's not enough points to incentivize a whole strategy. Maybe if you have some lessons, you lean into it more, but those points, I love sort of going for rare treasures because it's one of the ways in which you can cleverly maybe lay out your cats to leave room for the rare treasures to find this sort of synergy between these different scorings that work. When I first played this game, I was just like, oh, I'll just make little holes of ones and twos, and that'll be really efficient for me. I'll just plug those holes. It'll feel really good. And then I realized, oh, with these larger cat shapes, I can leave space for rare treasures, fill them in, and then be getting points on top of it. So I think there's this is like an interesting way that it's setting up more tactical decisions turn to turn than it is impacting your strategic scoring. Yeah. And rare treasures is also like a really weird, just the treasure system in general is like just another great example of this game being like tremendously messy. So like in any other game, you might just have like, these are the type of rare treasures that'll be available to you. And this is the supply of them. Not here. The rare treasures only come out when they're like randomly drawn from the bag. So you might employ your strategy and you're waiting for the right moment, but maybe that treasure like doesn't come out for a long time or somebody else is able to like scoop it up ahead of you. You don't uh, get then, the card. Yeah. And it, right. It's hard to draft the card you need sometimes. <laughs> and similarly, like with the smaller treasures, 
like those stacks run out really fast, like faster than you think. So like, it's very common that I kind of get to the point in this game where it's like, yeah, just need to like fill this one, one by one treasure spot. And it's like, Oh wait, they're all gone. Cool. Yeah. So, never mind. I guess I'm, I'm not going to be able to fill that room up anymore. And then on top of this, Oh, sorry, you weren't done. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to, I was going to move it to like the rooms being like yeah. minus five points each, which is, I think an interesting number of points in that it's not that many. Um, and I think like one reason I was annoyed with this game initially is because I kept losing to you over and over. And I kept looking at my boat and being like, I, I, I did way better job than Brendan on like creating families of cats. I did like a way better job of Brendan, like at filling in the rooms. And like, when you look at this game, like at the end of the day, it seems like whoever does the best job at like collecting these cats that fit together and filling up rooms on their ship should be the winner but that's absolutely not the case because of the lessons system yeah and a lot of times the lesson cards that we were that i was going for in those early games were sort of saying okay you get to ignore the negative penalty and you get a few points if you leave the middle room uncovered or if you leave these edge moon rooms uncovered or if you leave some if you leave exactly five rats uncovered all of a sudden you don't lose five points you gain five points which isn't exactly what it says but it's sort of like the real terms translation of that lesson card in and a I, true isle of cats fashion it's worth like 10 points so you still get the minus five and then you get the plus 10 exactly. for a net game of five yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> which, okay but it uh yeah it could just say for that route yeah whatever um it I love that. I, I think it makes for really dynamic feeling games. And it, but it does lead to that weird moment sort of heuristically where Jake, you're looking at my board and being like, dang, you sucked, but somehow you beat me. But it's yeah. because the rules are like, just suck at this one aspect this time or like ignore it and focus on other things. And I, it's fun. It feels like breaking the rules. Like there's enough scoring rules that the system gets to kind of break them and give you permission yeah. to break them sometimes, which is, it's, it, that's fun. I like that. I, th I think ultimately like the reason these are here, like so much the other stuff is because like it improves on the strength of this game, which is the deck of cards. And yeah. that it just enables so many ways that you can interact with scoring that wouldn't be there if all you were caring about is cat families or all you were caring about was filling up rooms. Yeah. Um, so I think like at the end of the day, while it's like, we can kind of make fun of it for just being like totally chaotic and all over the place. I think it really is a strength of the game at the end of the day. Maybe not. For, and I should say so far, I've only played this game online and it's great that it calculates your scores for you. Cause I can imagine it suck on the you table. Mentioned, it would probably suck on the table. It'll probably be yeah. a drag doing it. Um, get out but, your abacus. Yeah. Right. But like it does work. And I also think it enables like where uh, the capacity to like increase your skill in the game. Yeah, I, I think I think it puts less onus on like understanding the cards and in the draft and like what's the most valuable, and more onus on like understanding like the scoring systems and the way your cards are ultimately going to interact with that. I think that's like at least the level one way that I've seen my game improve the most i think that it, it also injects a lot of arithmetic into the game but it injects so much that it's sort of like i don't i it's like i'll do the shorthand math but i'm not going to think about the larger implications of this i'm going to go off feeling and i like it it's fun yeah it, works. it makes it fuzzy right it's like yeah. okay i could be trying to complete this room or i could go 
put this cat over here, which is going to allow me to take a treasure and cover a rat. And it's like, okay, what of those things is better? Kind of like going back to our conversation last week about like, is uh, is it better to have two water and one wind or two trees and a gregarious symbol? It's like, who can say? I feel like that same kind of vibe comes out of the arithmetic this. here. Totally. Okay. I've totally buried the lead because I think this is one of the most brilliant things that Isle of Cats does. And I want to talk to you about it, Jake. How tired of you after playing Isle of Cats are you of tiling polyominoes in a square space? I'm so tired of it now because tiling polyominoes in a 22 by nine square at its apex, a regularly shaped boat that is like way bigger in the back at the end and narrows to like a single tile in the front leads to wildly more interesting decisions where you have different tiles matter at different points in the game based on where you've tiled in your boat because you always have to place adjacent to where you've previously placed is so good and so brilliant and i think that that is actually one of the most awesome things about this game is it takes this thematic boat shape that makes the decisions even better and you don't even really think about it until you have one of those turns where you're looking at some monstrosity of cardboard it's like this wild hexomino that's going on all these shapes and then it fits perfectly into the boat and you're like oh this game's amazing yeah this is this is genius yeah, another thing that is awesome about it is the fact that like at the very front of the boat, you have the smallest room to fill yep. up, but it's the hardest like because it's like it's the only one that's not a square shape at all. It's kind of like a triangle shaped space, just the bow that's the front of a boat. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's just the bow of the boat, it's just where like Leonardo DiCaprio like hangs out or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but like that like so often this game, it's I find myself like making the concession of like, obviously you want to take the time to fill up that, but I have to like concede it because it is so difficult. So onerous to like actually get there because on one hand I, I might not even like you have to, once you put your first cat down, barring some special abilities that may come from the card, you're like building off of that cat. So like, I might just be not over on that side of the boat for a while, yeah. depending on like how I choose to like start out the game. Uh, so like, is it worth it to get all the way over there? And then even once I do, even though it's the smallest size room, it's very difficult to get, you know, you still might need the same amount of cats to fill it up because it, nothing is going to fit cleanly there. So you're just using small pieces of like three cats and a treasure in order to like actually get there. So it, you know, I think that again, it's a very fun and cool design choice that is messy at the same time. Yeah, I love the rooms and the maps, which we haven't even talked about. And I didn't even include in the rules overview. It's just like too much. But there's these little maps depicted all over the boat, just like the rats in a way. But the maps are in different colors. And if you match a cat of the same color with the map of the same color, then you get an extra treasure. So it's this fun little incentive on a given turn if you can make that match. Plopping down a cat that matches feels really great. It's interesting when the you don't do that, when you go against it and you cover it up with a cat that doesn't match that color because you're giving up efficiency in terms of what you could be adding to your boat to maybe have better families. So it leads to interesting decisions. And then also the rooms are these sort of mid-stage objectives where once you fill it up, uh, sort of organically paced, you sort of say, okay, I completed that goal. What's my next goal? Just, it's awesome. It's so good. It works so well. I think the maps are hugely important too, because like 
for a game as messy as this is, I'm, I'm going to stop using that word now. Uh, I've unwieldy. Uh, yeah. For a game unwieldy as it is, it's like the only signpost, I think, yeah. that you yeah. can like cling to early on. Like I can say, like, okay, I don't know what the hell is going on here, but I know I need to put cats on my boat. And if I can like match up the right color over the treasure maps, like that's at least one thing I can focus on. In, it's like, a little the first edge. Couple plays. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's, I, and I think it's so necessary. Because I think without that, it would just be like truly, truly bewildering for those early plays, even yeah, more than it is. Totally. Well, what do you think, Jake? What what question should we close the show on? What question? I think we should close on what are what are your favorite decisions in Isle of Cats? In the Isle of Cats. Favorite decisions. Or your favorite turn. I don't even care about whatever. Yeah. It's like I, I think I think the best decisions in this game for me. Like everything comes down together to create really awesome and interesting decisions when you actually are placing cats, when you're picking what cats you want and actually placing cats on the boat. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like that's what you, that's where you want the money to be. If you design a polyomino game, like you want that to be the money. And I think against all odds here, it works out. You've got enough to consider you feel like you can make smart choices, but it's never clear exactly what you should be doing. And it also leaves plenty of opportunity for you to look back at what you have done in two turns ago and just like smack yourself in the forehead. Like, what on earth was I thinking when I placed that cat there? Um, so I think I, th- I think that's where the money is in this game. Like, you know, it's yes, there's drafting. Yes, there's like weirdly uh, like a basket fish and boot economy but all those things come together to create like one of the best decision spaces out there for actually choosing and placing polyomino pieces at least that i've ever played yeah i think that the game expects a lot of its players but it really delivers in spades in terms of the dis- the the consistently interesting decisions that you're making turn after turn in phase after phase like the draft holds up and does exactly what it needs to be doing i'm engaged with with your boat i'm engaging with everyone's boat at the table i'm interested in the progress other people are making as i'm gauging my progress towards filling up my boat filling up my rooms the there's a little bit of something for everyone in this game. And I think that that's why this game is so beloved, but there's not so much that it falls apart and tries to be something for everyone and ends up being nothing. Like this game has such a clear sense of identity, a clear sense of what it wants to be. Even if it's, a, even if that what it wants to be is this unwieldy, hectic, wild cat full of boats game. And it's, it's awesome. I, I think that it is this sort of like, important milestone in the evolution of polyomino games away from like let's be clean delicate things and sort of saying no make a mess it's okay it'll be fun yeah you can pick your own game just do what you want it, and it'll yeah. be fun and, and and you can be successful doing it, it uh, if you're smart a hat tip at us it's it's getting close to being a sandbox to plan but not so so much so that it loses itself yeah so good I, my, I guess my final closing thoughts here. Isle of Cats like, is definitely not going to be a game for everyone. I'm thinking of our good friend, Paul Solomon. I'd love to hear what he thinks of this game because like, knowing his affinity for you know, Phil Walker Hiring, who's like famous for designing just like, that's Paul's favorite designer. And he designs just like the most elegant, clean, clean. and refined decision spaces, right? Like yeah. ideas that are just like refined down into a diamond. Polished. 
you know, and if, if you like that, you really might bounce off this game. And I know a lot of people in our Discord, as we talked about it, have absolutely bounced off this game. So I think it won't be a game for everyone, but it, it does appear to be a game for most people who try yeah. it based on the fact that it is just outside the top 100 overall games on Ford Game Geek. It's sitting at 104 overall right now, which is just like really, I think, kind of a triumph. And I think for me, is I'm not someone who uh, partakes in Kickstarter you know, and backing stuff very often. That's just not my style. I, I don't really dig the delay gratification. I just want like instant gratification. You know, if I want a game, I, you know, I want to get it and play it that night probably. Um, but I feel like to me, this game being a massive Kickstarter success feels like validation for like the best of Kickstarter. Cause I don't yeah. think this game comes out of an established design studio, right? Yeah. Someone like Paul, someone like, phil are going to see this and be like wow there's a lot of good ideas in here let's like drill down to the best parts of it and i think there could be an awesome game an awesome alternative version of isle cats that does that and still works really well but i'm just really happy that this messy version exists yeah well put and with that, we're going to close up the show. We're sailing away from, from the aisle with a, a boat full of cats and hopefully interesting ideas. Next week is going to be a topical discussion before, and maybe we'll do a topical episode after that, of what we talk about perhaps. Uh, and then we'll return to games with Agricola and maybe Blood Rage or something else. But I would like to say, if you like more decision space in your life, you can find us on Twitter at Decision Spa. We're trying to be as active as we can be on the awful app. Uh, you can also find us on our website, decisionspacepodcast.com. There's good articles there. You can find our full show notes uh, and a page for every episode we've covered. There's a game index. If you're curious if we've covered a specific game, you can go there and just search search there in alpha order or just do a nice quick control F. We'll link you right to the episode. Uh, we also have a Discord where you can have fun conversations with like-minded game-centric people. Uh, who who want to talk about games and engage with the ideas in them. And Discord is just like a chat room in your browser that anyone can access. There's a link to that in our show notes on our website and elsewhere. You can follow Jake on Twitter if you just want Jake's hot takes at Jake F-R-Y-D. Or you can follow me at uh, Brendan Hansen at Burnside B-H uh, on Twitter for, for like hotter takes, but not as hot as Jake's takes. And as always, thank you to Hembry for their hit song. Uh, reach out which is our intro and outro song total banger for summer awesome thanks brendan and thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next week bye y'all. Oh,